Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 39. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does... He'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it'll be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. When it comes to the gospel, how does one pick a winner? Now, that's a strange question, I know, but, but stick with me for a moment. There have been people whom I've known and I've met them, and as I've gotten to know them, I've discovered they're really nice people, right? They're, they've got high moral standards, they're trustworthy, they're dependable, they're truthful. And it's like, oh, you're a better Christian than some Christians I know. You're just missing one thing you just don't believe, which is pretty big deficit, really, about being a Christian, because that's what makes a Christian. And these are the sorts of people who who will often be inclined to invite to a church function in the hope that they might be the ones who are going to hear the gospel and be saved. I mean, they deserve to be saved. They're such nice people and they would fit in so well. And some of these will respond to the gospel, but many don't. As nice as they are, many hearts are hardened and they're not born again. Then we might see so-and-so, and, and like they're really needy. They're, they're broke, their marriage has failed, their kids are uncontrollable, they're drunks, maybe they have other substance abuse issues and they're depressed and the world is falling apart and we recognise you need Jesus. He's the only one who can, who can fix your life. They're so broken, they've got nothing left to live for, you've got to be ripe for the gospel. And once again, same thing. We invite them to church functions and in the hope that they're going to hear the gospel and be saved. And some will respond to the gospel, but many won't. As desperate as they are, many hearts remain hardened. So when it comes to the gospel, how do we know who's going to respond? Well, we won't. At least I never can tell. Um, I always remember the parable of the sower. 
The word of God is broadcast. It's spread out. I was just, um, there's a young fella in town and, and he's just, they've just bought a new house and it's got a nice lawn and he's never had a nice lawn before and he's, he's wanting to know how to fertilise stuff. And, and, and I said, well, the way we used to always do it, I've only just gotten in, I think last year, got a fertiliser spreader. Before then, we'd spread it out by throwing fertiliser out. And you throw your seed out um, when, you, when you're sowing. And, and the word of God is broadcast. It's spread out into the world and it lands wherever it lands. It lands on all types. Some of it will never germinate. Some of it will germinate but die out. Some of it will start growing and then get choked out. But some of it will end on good soil and it grows and it yields a crop. Now, when it comes to the gospel, where is that good soil? And here's the thing, it's all types. It'll be, some of it will be the nice people. Some of it will be the needy people. Some of it will be the cantankerous folk. Some of it will be the ones that nobody likes. Some of it will be the rich some of it will be the poor, some of it will be the young, some of it will be the old, some of it will be the famous, some of it will be the nobodies. You see where I'm going with this? As disciples of Jesus, our calling is to proclaim the good news of Jesus to who? Who do you think? Everyone. Everyone. Now, how do we do that? How do we proclaim the good news to, of Jesus to Everyone. We let somebody else do it, right? And everybody goes, hallelujah. Okay, thus ends the sermon. It's not finished, is it? No, we don't leave it for somebody else to do. And, and some will say, oh, well, we, that's the job of the more mature Christians. We leave it for the more mature Christians to do. No, we don't leave it for the more mature Christians to do. Or perhaps a stadium full of people and a speaker after the vein of Billy Graham. That's how it happens, right? Or sometimes... And we praise God for those whom he has gifted as evangelists who do preach to stadiums filled with thousands of people and are effective in doing that. But how do those thousands of people end up there in the first place? Personal invitation. See, the gospel's a very personal thing. And we see that in today's Bible reading. Jesus goes out. And he sees a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, who here enjoys paying tax? Anyone? I, I actually once had somebody answer that and said, yes, I do, because it means I've made money. Okay, and um, now I guess the problem with that is sadly the way our system works, some of the wealthiest people in our land are able to structure their affairs. They actually don't pay hardly any tax. Um, but generally, not many of us like paying tax. But in first century Israel, they hated it. And they hated the tax collectors even more. You know why? Because they were working for the enemy. Um, now, I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again. Israel was an occupied land. Right? The Romans had come in, given them a jolly good flogging, and, and enveloped them into the Roman Empire. And being part of the Roman Empire meant that when they paid tax, who were they paying tax to? The Romans. Um, it was for the privilege of, of having them conquer them and, and rule over them. Um, now, well, what were those taxes used for? 
well, all sorts of things for building the roads and, and administering the land, et cetera, et cetera. But, but a large portion of the, of the taxes went to pay the legions of soldiers who were garrisoned in their midst to try and control them and, and stop them from rebelling. And nobody liked that. And the Romans used locals to gather the tax for them. Can you imagine how unpopular that would be to collect tax for the enemy from your countrymen. And, and that's why it paid so well. It was quite a lucrative job to extract taxes out of your countrymen and, and give it to the Roman Empire. And understand just how much the tax collectors were looked down upon. All we have to do is see how they're described. Um, you, you'll see categories of tax collectors and sinners tax collectors and prostitutes, right? They're seen as such despicable, despicable people. They weren't just sinners. They had their own category of sin. And Jesus says to Levi, this tax collector, this man who is despised by most, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, that's pretty much the same as what we saw the fishermen do. Um, Peter, Andrew, James and John left everything to follow Jesus. And so did Levi. Um, by the way, there's a bit of a debate as to who Levi is. Um, we we're actually just talking about somebody, as people arise, I think I was talking to Andrew about a certain person who nobody actually knows their real name because uh, his real name is, well, not, not you, Andrew, but another is called Andrew is his real name, but everybody knows him as Fred. And we don't, and a lot of people have, are known by several different names. And so there's a bit of debate over who this Levi is. Um, is he also the bloke that's known as Matthew in the Bible? Because Matthew has a very similar story. He also was a tax collector. Is he the same bloke? Well, we don't know. Um, but here in Luke, he's called Levi, so we'll just refer to him as Levi. So Luke is telling us that Levi made a decisive break with his old life to become a disciple of Jesus. And that's what it takes. Every one of us to become a disciple of Jesus have to make a decisive break with our old life. And then the very next thing that Levi does is he puts on a feast for Jesus. Now, I've always had in my head, I don't know why, but whenever I've read this, I've always thought, okay, he's putting on a party for his friends to introduce them to Jesus. But it's actually the other way around. He's putting on a party for Jesus and he invites all of his friends to Jesus's party. And, and there's an important difference there. Jesus becomes the centerpiece of Levi's life. His old friends, they're not the centerpiece anymore. Jesus is the centerpiece of Levi's life. And he wants all of his friends to know this. This is a celebration of Jesus. And Levi invites his friends to the celebration. And who is there? Well, we're told that there's a lot of tax collectors and others at the party. But what sorts of people were they? Well, the Pharisees, they wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have set foot in a place filled with those sorts of people, but they must have heard about it. And the Pharisees described them as tax collectors and sinners. You see, as, 
as unpopular as the tax collectors were, it's not that they didn't have any friends, they just didn't have nice friends. They didn't have godly friends. They didn't have acceptable friends. Uh, and all of the most despised members of society found their companionship in the company of each other. Meanwhile, the Pharisees were the opposite of that. Uh, the, the word Pharisee, it, it, they were known as the separated ones. And that's what they, that's what they did. They were so concerned for their own holiness that they would separate themselves from anyone who they viewed as being unclean. Separate themselves from anyone who they viewed as being unholy because they didn't want any of their unholiness rubbing off onto them. And the tax collectors and their mates represented the very worst of everything that the Pharisees were trying so hard to avoid. And so the Pharisees were aghast at Jesus. Because here's this Jesus, this self-proclaimed rabbi, self-proclaimed holy man. How would he, why would he mix with them? And not just mix with sinners, he would eat with them. You see, to eat with someone, that's what you do with your friends. That's what you do with people you love. That's what you do with people whom you're willing to welcome. You eat with them. And the Pharisees grumbled at Jesus' disciples. Why would you do that? I mean, why would you eat and drink with people like them? Why would you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And while they grumbled at the disciples, it was Jesus who gave them the answer. And it was quite a simple one. Those who are sick don't need the doctor. It's the sick who need the physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let those words sink in. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Wise words. It is the sick who need a doctor. Jesus knew very well that they were sinners. It's not like he thought, oh, these are the nice crew. I'll come and join up with them. He, of course he knew that they were sinners. And a key message that keeps coming through in the Gospel of Luke is repentance. The message to turn away from sin and to follow Jesus. By the way, as we get further and further into the Gospel of Luke, we're going to discover that some of the greatest sinners were the Pharisees themselves. They thought that they were the holy ones. But Jesus can see right inside a person's heart. And he doesn't just see external appearances of holiness. He sees what's in the heart. Anyway, Levi was a brand new follower of Jesus. Jesus had become the centerpiece of Levi's life. And so he invited all of his old friends and his acquaintances to a party for Jesus. That is what effective evangelism looks like. Inviting those you know from every walk of life to a party for Jesus. Uh, Now, some Christians find this one of the hardest things to do. 
But the world is filled with the sick who need a doctor. So if we unpack this metaphor, the sickness is what? Sin. The sickness is sin. Uh, It's a rebellion against God. It's a rejection of God. That's what sin is. I I still remember my um, New Testament lecturer when I was at Bible college said to me in his Irish accent, uh, Michael, I I can't do Irish accents. He said, Michael, sin is not doing naughty things, you know. Sin is a rejection of God. It's a rebellion against God. There's a lot of people in the world who go, well, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a sinner. I don't need God. Ah, there's the sin right there. I don't need God. So the sickness is sin. What's the symptoms? It's the evil we do. Evil, hatred, bitterness, selfishness, godlessness, pride, sexual immorality, gossip, slander. All of these things are symptoms of the sin. But there is a cure. What is the cure? The gospel. The message to come to Jesus, repent and believe. I've got some really good news for you here. In the testing, it's been found that the cure is 100% successful. Everyone, every single person who repents of sin and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is saved. But that leaves us a question. In this metaphor, who is the doctor? And in this story, well, we go, well, Jesus, of course. Hmm. Who's the doctor? The doctor is the one who goes to sinners. The doctor is the one who eats with sinners. The doctor is the one who rubs shoulders with the sinners and loves sinners and loves them so much that the doctor calls the sinner to repentance. That's who the doctor is. So who are the physicians today? Any ideas? We are. We are. Or at least we're supposed to be. We are the ones who have been entrusted with the gospel, the the good news of Jesus. Why have we been entrusted with it? Well, to share it, of course. But are we doing that? The world is filled with sick who need a doctor and that's exactly what you and I are called to be. Now, some Christians go, oh, that's fine. I really enjoy hanging out with sinners. And the problem is they love being with the sinners more than they love being with Christians. Do you know why? Because they like to do what the unsaved do. Um... When they're with their non-Christian mates, they just like them. They get drunk, they swear, they tell filthy jokes. And I've heard some Christians claim, well, this is how I need to be. This is honouring of God because, you know, if I have a few drinks with the boys and, and, and talk like what they do and joke along with them, it helps me to fit in better with, the, with them and, and they accept me. Don't you dare ever tell me that it is the will of God for us to continue in sin for his glory. That is a lie of the devil. 1 John chapter 1 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. How much darkness is in God? None. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not practice the truth. Right? We need to be aware that sin is an infectious disease. As Robin just gave the demonstration there with the kids before, when a doctor is treating an infectious disease, they will wear full PPE, right? The doctor has to guard that they do not contract the same sickness that the patient has. Now, how do we guard against that? Well, the Pharisee, they guard, they guard themselves against infection by separating themselves off. A Pharisee has no concern for anyone but himself. A Pharisee has the opinion, I'm, I'm just going to have nothing to do with a sinner because I don't want to fall into their ways. A negligent physician is someone who wants to come across as being relevant. They want to come across as being non-judging and come across as being open and, in, and so they're just like the patient. And so a negligent physician mixes with sinners and embraces the ways of a sinner. But a true physician guards himself against infection and mixes with sinners, all the time confidently championing the cure. Are you following me? What are you and I? Some of us might be more like the Pharisees. We don't mix with sinners because we don't like it. We don't like being in that environment. Or maybe it's not that we have an aversion. Maybe we just don't have any friends who are not Christians. And that happens. Sometimes you can be a Christian for so long, all of your friends are Christians. And yes, we're naturally drawn to each other. And by increasing our bubble of Christians, some of us actually find we actually don't hardly interact with non-Christians. Likewise, some of us might see ourselves as a physician, but we ourselves are negligent in our faith and infected with the disease. Yes, we eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, but instead of us calling them to repentance, we get caught up in their drunkenness and in their sinful ways. The call of Jesus is for his disciples, you and I, to be physicians. We throw a party for Jesus by inviting folk to our homes and we eat with them with the intent of calling them to repentance. Now, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to invite those who we may not normally mix with to our own homes and share dinner with them? Now, some of you might get freaked out at that thought. Some of you might, oh, I don't like having people to my home especially people I don't know, and, and, and those people, quick, hide the silverware. But I suspect that probably more of us get freaked out with the next bit, calling sinners to repentance. Many of us feel totally inadequate to do that. Am I right? Mm. What if we did what Levi did? 
He threw a party for Jesus, invited all of his non-Christian mates. And I suspect he let somebody else do the message. He was lucky he had Jesus he could invite. Jesus was there. But you know what? There are Christians in this church who are quite capable of sharing their faith. We mightn't be highly polished, but you know what? Most people aren't looking for highly polished. They're not looking for the showy testimony. Most people are looking for authenticity. They're looking for people who speak truth and who share honestly, even if they do stumble in their phrasing. Why don't you put on a dinner for Jesus, invite your non-Christian friends and invite a Christian friend and let them know that you want them to share their faith with those who are there. In essence, that's what programs like Alpha and Exploring Christianity do. You invite people to a meal, and it's always best to have that meal at your own home. And for a few weeks, you explore together what Christianity is about. What if we did something like that? I'd be in that. But we could organise a night of the week, and, and you could invite a few folk to, to a meal, and we could do Christianity Explored together. I think it takes about 10 weeks altogether. Think about it. Pray about it. And see who the Lord brings to your mind, who you should invite to something like that. And don't leave it at that. Come and talk to me about it. And let's think about doing it. So Jesus didn't cut himself off some sinners. How could he call sinners to repentance if he wasn't in their midst? And it's the same for us. How can we call sinners to repentance if we're not in their midst? But the Pharisees are still having a bit of a dig with him. Um, and so they changed tack. To them, it appeared that Jesus and his disciples were way too cheerful to be good religious folk. Because we all know that Christians are supposed to be sad, grumpy kinds of people, aren't they? Look like they've just eaten a bunch of prunes and... <laughs> I, Roy likes points. So do I, Roy, but only in winter. And, and I, I like it. They used to be able to buy prunes in those big tins, the three-litre prune tins. They were the best things for putting nuts and bolts in. Whatever happened to those? <laughs> now, they, now they come in packets. They're no good at all for nuts and bolts. <laughs> but they said, to, they said to him, look, the disciples of John the Baptist, they fast often. And they pray, and, and so do our disciples, by the way, but yours, they eat and drink. Right? Basically, what, what they're saying is, you know, we, our religiousness, we deny ourselves, but you lot look like you're having a good time. You can't possibly be good religious folk. And Jesus' response to them was, you, you can't expect the wedding guests to fast while the bridegroom's there. And he says, the days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. To follow Jesus is to enter a happy experience. Why do Christians so often come across as being such sad sorts of people? Being a disciple of Jesus is a really happy experience. Yes, there are times of, of sadness. 
And there is times for us to fast as we pray. But Jesus teaches us that when Christians fast, nobody should even know about it. That the Pharisees, they had a habit of putting on a show. It was like, oh, I'm really hungry, you know. I'm fasting. That way everybody knows that you're spiritual, right? I, I still remember the first time I saw this. I was, I was visiting a church and, and I, was, I was actually talking to somebody else, but I... I overheard a conversation happening beside me. This person comes up to this other person and says, would you like to come for lunch? He said, I, I really would, um, but I'm actually fasting at the moment. Oh, okay. Come next week. Yep, I will. And that was the first time that I'd actually just seen that interaction. Here was a person who was fasting as he was praying. Um, I don't know how long he was fasting for, but nobody knew about it. He just quietly responded, I, I just can't at the moment because I'm fasting. As, as Christians, we experience genuine joy in fellowship and communion with one another. Now, having said that, some Christians fake their enthusiasm and fake their joy. Um, I always remember a, a, a particular, I went to a worship leaders training thing once um, and they actually had quite a famous uh, songwriter and musician lead, teaching this worship leaders training and he, he said, now when you're leading worship, you have to be happy and joyful. If you come to, if you're sad, even if as you've left home, you, you know, you've had an argument with your husband or your wife or whatever, and, and then you're backing out, you run over your dog, and, and you, you get to church and you're all sad, you have to, it is like a country song, isn't it? Well, you, you have to, yes, you have to faith it until you make it. He said, we don't fake it till you make it, we faith it until you make it. And so you've got to get up there and act as if you're happy. And in faith, God will make you happy because nobody in worship wants to see a sad worship leader. You know what that was? Fake. Fake. The joy of the Lord is not something we fake. Be genuine with God. Be genuine with each other. If you're sad, share your sadness so that we can pray with one another. So... We don't fake joy. Even in these terrible, terrible, sad times, we still have an underlying joy of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. But that doesn't mean we fake happiness. As Christians, we experience genuine joy in the fellowship and communion with one another. See, there was a disconnect between what the Pharisees saw as holiness and what Jesus was demonstrating. And Jesus gives two parables to explain this disconnect. No one tears a piece off of a brand new shirt so they can use that piece to patch an old one that's worn out. I mean, that's absurd, isn't it? It would ruin the brand new garment and it's not really, you know, the old garment isn't going to last that much longer and it doesn't even match the old garment. When Jesus came, he did not come to patch up the old religious system of Judaism. The purpose of Judaism, the purpose of the old covenant was to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. That was its intent. 
right from the beginning. It is impossible to graft Christianity onto any other religion, even Judaism. Um, so people who are Hindus, for instance, they are very welcome to, to, they're very happy to welcome Jesus in and they'll just sit Jesus up alongside all of their other gods. People who are Muslims, for instance, see Jesus as a very important prophet. They're happy to add a bit of Jesus to, to their religion. But it is impossible to graft Christianity onto any other religion. And it's impossible to grasp Christianity onto an ordinary life. Becoming a Christian isn't about adding a bit of Jesus to your life to just make up for its few shortcomings. Becoming a Christian is about putting to death the old person and raising up the new. If we try to add a little bit of Jesus to our existing life, we destroy everything that Christianity is meant to be because Christianity is meant to be a whole new experience. And I've said it so many times, becoming a Christian is so radical, Jesus described it as being born again. If we just try and add a bit of Jesus to our life, it ruins what Christianity is and it really doesn't fit with our old life. And then the second parable, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. If you do, the new wine's going to burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. Anybody use a wineskin? No. When I think about this, a wineskin isn't something that makes me think that wine would be particularly delicious. Uh, so a wineskin is made from the skin of either a young sheep or a young goat. And essentially, you want to you wanna skin it with... I can see where Lawrence are looking already. Essentially, you want to skin it without, with making as least cuts as possible. So somehow, you've got to get all the inside bits out without splitting the skin. So I think, essentially, most of it comes out through the neck. And um, so once you've done that, you can turn it inside out and cure it somehow. I don't know exactly what sort of curing process they do. And then they turn it the right way out again and they tie off where they've chopped the trotters off and tie off where other orifices and, and tie off a spout onto the neck and, and put a stopper in it and voila, you've got your wine skin. So you get your fresh new wine, wine that hasn't fully finished fermenting, you pour that in and stopper it up. Now, an old wine skin Old and brittle, pop, bursts. Because as it, it's still got a little bit of fermenting to go and it expands. Whereas a new, fresh wineskin still got a bit of expansion room. And so it expands and it contains it. What the Old Testament had become, sorry, the Old Covenant had become under the teaching of the Pharisees, could not contain the new thing that Jesus was doing. If we try to restrict Christianity to all of the rules and all of the regulations that the Pharisees had put in place, it would burst. What Jesus was doing was much bigger than this. And that's why the Pharisees could not handle what Jesus was doing. They, they wouldn't even eat with sinners. They wouldn't even eat with the godless. But that's exactly what Jesus came to do, to bring the good news to those. 
And he came to bring good news, to, to bring the, the Jew and the Gentile together. Those who were unworthy would be made holy through the blood of Jesus. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But the Pharisees would never accept that, and Jesus knew that they would never accept it. And that's why he said those who are used to drinking the old wine, they don't even want to taste the new. Happy with the old wine, thanks. The Pharisees were so content with the old system that they had, the way that it was, they didn't even want to give Jesus a try. That is the way of unbelief. If a person is content with who they are, if they're content with what their life is, they're unlikely to give Jesus a try. I'm reminded of, of the Psalm 34 that says, ah, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And that is all the message that we need to share Jesus with those who are sick. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Give him a go. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we have tasted and we know that you are indeed good. Lord, fill us with joy. May we be known as a people who delight in you and who delight in the company of one another and who put a party on for you. Lord, give us a love for the lost, that we would mix with those who are not like us and that we would call sinners to repentance. Lord, we thank you that somebody did that for us. We were sinners. We were sinners who were called to repentance. And may we now be physicians, preaching the cure to those who are sick. And may you do what only you can do, softening hearts so that many would respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.